What happens to us after we die? Do we cease to exist? Or do we live on? This may be the biggest question that mankind has ever asked. Where do we go when we die? And who is there to greet us? And why? What exactly does it mean to become a spiritual person? Does it consist of following predetermined laws? Or is it a personal journey? These are the types of questions that we will discuss. Welcome to the Regression Session. My name is Ian, and welcome back to the Regression Session. This week, we're going to be hearing from Madeline, and Madeline is a past life regression practitioner, and we talk a lot about the process of taking people down into hypnosis and some of the uh, nuances of doing that, so I'm pretty excited to have her on the show. If you've had an experience, or if you are another past life practitioner, or if you are a psychic medium or anything that has to do with this puzzle of the afterlife, feel free to shoot me an email. My email is theregressionsession at gmail.com. So let's jump into today's interview with Madeline. Hey, Madeline, thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really appreciate you taking some time to come on the show and sharing your time with me. Um, and just for the audience's sake, like I was saying before, could you tell us a little bit about your background growing up and your beliefs leading into becoming a past life practitioner? Yeah. So um, I am from the South. That's kind of a big part of my story in a way, because I come from a very traditional Christian background, specifically evangelical. Um, it was kind of the vibe where my mother didn't even want me to read Harry Potter because she was afraid that I would become a witch. And that didn't work out in the end. Um, I ended up going through confirmation the same way I was supposed to and doing everything that a lot of Presbyterians, Methodists would find very traditional. <laughs> um, I, uh, I was always resonating with different sects of Christianity and my mother was very open. Um, she was kind of, you would call her like a Jesus freak. She actually was a DJ on a spiritual radio station um, when I was a really little kid. And so it's kind of a world that I grew up in of both like this charismatic church of the Christian faith that's very evangelical and in a way very mystical and then also this simultaneous message of like you can't have anything to do with paganism you can't have anything to do with mysticism you can't have anything to do with witchcraft quote and there's like a big umbrella that that falls under and past lives weren't talked about so much in that circle but um I mean it was 
that was a very confusing subject that just wasn't dealt with because we were aware culturally that there were entire groups of people with well-respected religions in other countries that outnumbered us that believed in reincarnation. And that was something that like, in a way it was unique that I grew up in a household that acknowledged that it was unique for the region that my mother kind of broke out of our Southern Baptist upbringing to explain that to me and to say, you know, they have a path to Jesus too. And I, I credit her ironically for leading me to such an open religious practice now in sort of what I consider like modern paganism because she gave me that um, reference material that there were other paths to salvation. But in the end, um, I, after finding a lot of joy in Christianity my entire life, which is something a lot of people don't do in their younger years, but for me, my childhood, my adolescence, <clears throat> growing up in purity culture, that <laughs> the negatives of that didn't really hit me. Until I became, it was after college and I was dealing with issues of mental illness and just overall feelings of failure in my life. And I was also dealing with some really weird health problems um, that didn't have any explanation. It was really frustrating. And this is something that's very common for a lot of people on this path. Um, And I was really confused. I was looking for answers. Doctors, unfortunately, weren't giving them to me. And this is something that's so common in the modern medical system in general, just getting kind of stuck and not knowing how to be treated and taking a bunch of medication. You don't even know what's wrong with you. And my problem was this weird feeling of not being able to breathe. Um, And it was due to acid that was being overproduced and damaging my nerves in my chest so badly that it was like tricking my brain into thinking that I wasn't breathing when I was actually getting oxygen and they could like test it and I was getting plenty of air, but it felt like I couldn't breathe. And this was in like late 2017, I think. And so I was really in a lot of stress. I don't want to say pain, but it was a lot of kind of mental agony. And in this, I was really frustrated that my life had turned out like this because I had kind of everything before me. I had a college education. I had done everything the way I was supposed to, but I didn't feel fulfilled in anything I was doing. I had studied to go into marketing and advertising, just like my mother who's a very successful businesswoman from a long line of successful businesswomen. And I was looking forward to probably working for Walmart. Uh, Walmart headquarters is a common job where I live. Um, And that's actually a very prestigious career path. And you're going to make about six figures and you're going to probably die at your death and never get two weeks of vacation a year and live for that two weeks. And that was kind of, the path I was on. And now I was, I couldn't even work because of this weird illness. And I had several surgeries to fix it and nothing seemed to work. And then I started looking into spirituality, just, and I don't even know what I was looking for. Um, I just knew that I, I think I knew being able to put it into words now that I was so lost, I guess. And this is, you know, what people call the dark night of the soul, right? (laughs) Um, Dark night of the soul, it's a very 
common um, moment in your spiritual journey where you just kind of, it's essentially rock bottom and you're just in the dark and it seems like there's no light. And that's when a lot of people like me experience what I kind of consider to be a shamanic call. And it's, um, you start to hear voices, you kind of go into other dimensions, you experience past life memories. That's what I call them all now. In the At the time, I didn't have many, much context for it. And I was saying very, a big part of my story that I should mention is that I come from um, a certain background. I come from a very fortunate family who was involved in the industrial farming of the South for many years before I came along. So um, we farm like 3,000 acres in the Sun Belt across Oklahoma and Arkansas. So I was well taken care of at this time in my life. And that's a huge difference I found in my journey and so many others. If I could pinpoint one is that um, I'm just very fortunate to come from a family that was able to support me during this time and take care of me and let me explore, even though they (laughs) didn't agree with where I was going with my beliefs. you know, that didn't stop them from taking care of me. And through all of this, I was able to explore new paths of spirituality. And I started to reframe what had happened to me as, you know, these past life memories were, some of them were earthly and some of them were not earthly. And all of that was kind of wrapped up in a box that I didn't know how to deal with until the second phase came along, which was me talking to my guides Um, interacting with my guides more freely and instead of thinking of them as things that need to be shut out, trying to work with them and hear what they have to say and also exclude some of the ones that were kind of bothering me and learning tools like aromatherapy, working with herbs, things like that to navigate that energetic space and just being sensitive to all these things. And then through that journey, I learned how to hypnotize people. I'm a self-taught hypnotist. Um, And I learned how to do past life regressions on people from my guides, them teaching me and me going through long periods of meditating and learning these techniques. Some of them I picked up very naturally because like I said, my mom was in radio for a while when I was younger So I just sort of naturally remembered how I had been on the radio a couple of times for some radio spots. And I learned just I'd picked up some things about resonance and how to work with your voice and how to control it and manipulate it. And those seem to like come be brought back out and used to teach me this new ability. And that was something that I then looked back at the other stuff and thought, okay, maybe this is that's when I started to kind of reframe that stuff as an awakening a shamanic call to higher abilities and ever since then I've just had people called into my life through word of mouth um, that seem to either be awakening or on the verge of awakening and who are remembering past lives usually it runs the gambit but there are some specific ones that people are tend to be drawn to who they remember (laughs) that are specific to our little group and that's kind of what I think my mission is is to find my soul family and just work with them and 
help them understand what's happening to them. Like I would have liked someone to do for me while I was in my kind of having to do it on my own. Thanks for going over that. And um, that shamanic call that you mentioned, do you, is that the same thing as like a Kundalini awakening? Would you say? Um, <clears throat> you know, if I had to categorize them, I think every a kundalini awakening is something that everyone kind of has access to um and everyone is that's sort of your sacred journey is to awaken the the kundalini the shamanic call i think more refers to how and when it is awakened than whether or not it's up to you i mean in a way we all have free will and we don't have to awaken but people with the shamanic call i think what that is is you there are people who are relying on you to have abilities to awaken them. And so that means that when it's time for you to wake up, I, I always talk about the analogy of being at a sleepover and it's like, there's someone who has to get up and make breakfast for everybody. And if you're the shaman in your little friend group, (laughs) your little soul family, then that's you. And when it's time for you to get up, it's, you have to get up and you can kind of ignore your alarm, but you're just going to be groggy. You're not actually going to get to go back to sleep. You're, um, when it's time to get up it's you that your guides kind of get creative and that it's true we have free will but at the same time when your higher self wants you to do something it'll kind of put you in a corner so when you talk about your higher self and your guides do you look at those as the same thing uh in general yes um in not there are some cases where you can have guides that are not what you might think of as your higher self they might be um the higher self of your twin flame or your higher i don't like that term too much so i hate to throw it in early on but that's a good word for you know someone who's connected to a part of your soul um if you're connected enough it's kind of like a tree and there's like some people that can come into your orbit and in a way they're also part of you. They are also your higher self. They're just your higher self on a diff- slightly different path. Um, and then in another way, they. but it just depends on how you want to think of them at that time. But, uh, and there are sometimes people have to realize that some guides aren't like your highest self. Some are just slightly higher than you. And just because they can teach you something new doesn't mean that they're really what you should be aligning with at that moment. That's kind of where you get into like fourth dimensional beings. The reason that I ask is because I've, I've heard like, what's the best way to put this? So in my experience doing past life regressions, most of the people that I've regressed run into a spirit guide naturally. And when they talk about it, they talk about this guide as if it is a separate uh, entity or a separate consciousness. But when I talk to practitioners such as yourself, a lot of them will say that they think that it's just part of yourself. So I wonder, I wonder why that is. Well, this is, this kind of goes back to my awakening and another difference in what happened to me and what happens to people in like just a standard run of the mill awakening. 
I kind of awakened to the idea that your higher self was you like it backwards. And that happens a lot with shamanic awakenings as you kind of awaken to this higher knowledge backwards. And so for me, I was remembering that there was a version of myself that was like a lot sadder than me and a lot more depressed. And I was remembering a part of me in a very dark dimension, a very old ancient dimension. And um, because it was my relationship with her and knowing that we were the same that changed me. And I, I learned a lot out of my awakening because I had a lot of problems with empathy and by relating to my guides and realizing that they were me, that's how I made a lot of the emotional breakthroughs that I had was by understanding that I was learning things from these entities and that they were learning things from me. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's kind of what we were doing together as a team. And so my understanding of that uh, kind of awakened from the inside out as these are just parts of me that are coming back to learn and be helpful. That makes sense. And, you know, obviously that's a little bit different from, from what like the average past life regression experiencer is experiencing. Right. Um, Yeah. So as far as like, doing past life regressions themselves after you kind of had this uh, shamanic call or this awakening, what's the timeline from, from doing that to jumping into regressing people. And uh, I think you called it doing healing or spiritual healing. Yeah. Which I wouldn't have called it that then at all. I would have really cringed if someone would have, if I would have like someone would try to tell me that that's what I was doing because for at like two years, I think, or I guess a year and a half at least after, well, there was at least like, there were, it was like late 2017 to early 2018 that I was kind of going through this major, and I'm, I'm sorry, I may have those years wrong because the pandemic has really messed with my like five year <laughs> span of things. Um, it feels like this was like 20 years ago. Uh <laughs> But yeah, I think it was, um, it was only like, it felt like I, I guess it was about a year of kind of recovering what I would call just recovering from the shamanic call and just trying to get back on my feet. And by the end of 2018, I had, towards the end, I had started meeting some people um, that were because of their experiences kind of hard to explain it's not like one thing happened after another it was like on the one hand I was looking I was just trying to heal and just trying to get my mind back and try to set a ground basically is what I was doing to kind of get back into this because I I have when you believe that you're your higher self and you literally know that for a fact in your being you for you don't realize who you are you have to like come back down to earth and reassert your identity in this vessel that because you just it's like you get shown everything from the highest mountaintop and you have to come back down and 
be like, okay, I understand that that's what I am. I'm this larger thing, but I can't stay at that perspective because I can't see what's in front of my face (laughs) here on earth. So I had to kind of, it took a long time to heal and I would call that healing myself. And then I sometime in early 2018, I was um, meeting people or I guess early 2019 for sure. Yeah. I was like meeting people and um, there were just so many synchronistic things about that time. It felt like I was meeting soul family and I'm an only child. So to feel like I'm meeting like a sibling is a really interesting feeling that I've experienced in the past few years with people who I call soul family. And I wish I had a better word for it because I feel like the jargon is kind of all over the place but that's what I call them. I just know that we kind of share past life memories and my abilities were awakening in a really natural way. And their curiosity was awakening to this stuff. And we were, um, I was doing regressions. And what was interesting was, uh, even though we'd have some cool moments, they were also doing some really intense work with some much more advanced healers than me. So I was just a part of their journey. They were also doing like some quantum healing hypnosis sessions, which I don't know how familiar you are with that technique, but it's very interesting, deep two hour meditation that, that uh, takes a long time to really master. Is that Dolores Cannon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had like some, well, it was so interesting because we would have these experiences and we would obviously, I would question my own abilities, you know, being just learning this. And, um, and then they would work with some more practiced healers and some of the most significant sessions that they did were quantum healing hypnosis. And I recommend that for anyone who is trying to like confirm the work that they're doing with someone like me. And it's the, the work goes hand in hand because you need the work where you're conscious of it and kind of meditating on it bit by bit, day by day. But then those quantum healing hypnosis sessions are just really powerful um, to, they just put you in a mind state that it's really difficult to argue with some of the details that they can pull out and how they line up so well. Um, It's like this narrative was being pulled out from several different people's minds at once. This very lengthy narrative from another planet that was so dramatic and beautiful and interesting and human. And um, it was like a show and it was so creative and we could see that energy in it. And so it, that kind of unfolded over the course of like a year. And then by the end of 2019 was when I started deciding that I had developed a method that I could really work with. And um, I felt confident in charging people. So, and I messed with my prices for a while and did things kind of differently. And then it was about uh, a year and a half ago that I kind of settled on this method. It was like in the middle of the pandemic, 2020, that I kind of figured out how I wanted to do my business. And, um, you know, it's a process. (laughs) Right. And, you know, just to kind of rewind a little bit, you mentioned something that I haven't really talked at all about on my show, but it's synchronicities. Would you mind touching a little bit on your concept of that? Mm. 
Yeah. Um, well, a synchronicity is this idea that the world is not random. And this is kind of the core of what an awakening is because it's the first thing that starts. It's like the tapping that kind of grows in the background. And then you start to notice that it's a pattern. It's not random. Um, that's the universe trying to show you in the gentlest ways that it can that your life is not moving in several random pieces that just create absolute chaos. There's a plan going on and you're meant to be looking at this clock at this moment. You're meant to be looking at your watch face at this moment, you know, and just by showing you that by sort of implanting that concept, that's what begins the awakening process. And then as your journey evolves and you kind of go further down the road of a mystic, you start to use synchronicity as, um, in lots of different ways to sort of read the general energy of your matrix, you know, you're going along and thing, your reality is being created before you. And you'll notice that moments of synchronicity pick up. And a lot of people ask, you know, what does this synchronicity mean? What does this one mean? The fact that it's happening is really just trying to point you at something and trying to say, hey, pay attention because the universe is not random. And you sort of develop your own language that you can use in the future to read those patterns. So for the audience's sake, this, what you're talking about, that's not the same thing as, as like, okay, when I'm driving down the road and I start to look for red cars, I'm going to see a lot more red cars, right? It's something completely different. This is like things showing up in your life that prove that it's not random. So like, for example, uh, I I've heard a couple, like one guy said that, feathers like he sees feathers for some reason like whenever a life change is going to happen he just like will come across some kind of a feather whether it's a drawing of a feather or a feather will fall literally like fall out of the sky from a bird or he'll find a feather somewhere so he'll just find these feathers and as soon as he sees these feathers he knows that something's about to go down because it's happened so many times so is that kind of what you're talking about yeah. And it's also, it has another side to it because it's both about recognizing the pattern and also about the fact that these things were always happening in a non-chaotic order. But the truth is you have to accept the fact that you just didn't notice that it was happening because you're not noticing you're in a state where you're kind of asleep. And so you're not noticing that these things don't fit, that they're, they're not random. And so when you start to notice these synchronicities, it's not that the pattern is happening more frequently. It's that you're noticing patterns more in your life. Okay. So it, so it is kind of like when I'm, when I'm starting to look for more red cars, I'm going to see more red cars then. Well, (laughs) I mean, the way that you phrase that could go either way, you know, that, um, but because it's it it doesn't always work that way you know it doesn't always work that if you say you're going to see more of one thing you're definitely going to see it I've um but sometimes it can it that kind of goes to what is your intention and that's the other part of the spiritual journey that people sometimes neglect they focus on reading the signs and the energy that they're picking up on and not where they're whether or not they're actually perceiving 
um, and whether they're in the right alignment to perceive things correctly. So are they just calling in what they're, are they reflecting stuff back at themselves because you can, you've just learned to manifest that sign or are you in a state where you're truly open to the universe telling you what the future holds for you? And if you're in that state, then you're not going to have a problem with confirmation bias. Yeah. And that's, and that's the main thing. Like I can hear it now from any skeptics out there is, is confirmation bias. Right. So how, how can you, you know, obviously I know, I know that we, we kind of talked a little bit before we started recording about, um, you know, there's kind of two sides or there's like a spectrum of, of this bubble that we're in, or I call it the puzzle that we're all trying to put together. And on my kind of an end of things where I I'm very evidence-based. Um, I know that it's on the other end of the spectrum, evidence and stuff and confirmations aren't super important to, to a lot of people doing the same type of work, but how can you know that you're not just having confirmation bias? Well, you're talking to someone who's, I'm a big picture person, forest, not the trees. So I could never answer that question from the perspective of someone who needs, I mean, I have been in that place where it's like, I need to prove that this really happened and that I couldn't possibly know this information and that no one's feeding me anything. There's a place where you're at, where you need those. And I'm just, I've, I've been out of that for so long. It's hard to kind of get back in that state for me. Once you have an experience that for which, first of all, you shouldn't be doing this work. If you're still in that state, you know, you shouldn't be doing what I'm doing a spiritual advisor, helping people. If you're still questioning to that extent for me, because you just can't do your work correctly. For me, I have had the experience of seeing life-changing things, people break patterns that they haven't been able to break through their entire lives, people forgiving people, um, showing compassion where there was hatred before. Those kinds of emotional healing moments, those moments of profound change in people's lives where there's a difference made in their quality of life, um, that is what I base everything off of. And I, I mean, I've had some interesting synchronistic moments. Like I have a life in France and there's a detail about a specific doctor. And I talked to someone who's from France and they confirmed some interesting things about that I had remembered. And that was a very cool experience. But for me, that's a very small part of what has helped me well what has propelled me to believe this so fervently that I want to spread it to other people and um, for me it's the emotional healing the change in people's lives because I always found it so difficult to change before I awakened and so difficult to find compassion and healing and anything you know I just had a very profound experience so that that's something that makes me a little different as I wasn't eased into this I had something that was supernatural in nature that occurred to me and it was just um it's difficult to put into words but it's impossible to come back from that and then meeting the people that I've met um people who you know it seems like my whole life I've been looking for these people 
that kind of soulmate bonds where we share these memories and we have issues that make so much more sense with this in our lives. It brings good things. I kind of go back to the old Christian proverb about judging things by their fruit. And this thing has always borne incredible fruits. It's always, I've just seen people change for the better. I've seen people improve their lives, become less materialistic, less superficial, more loving, more empathetic, and more authentic as well. And uh, those are my goals in life. So that's what I'll pursue. (laughs) But I, so I'm sorry, I know that's not too into the nitty gritty details for a skeptic but that's <laughs> yeah it's it's totally fine you know and the only reason i ask that question is cuz i i always try to approach things from both sides to get a spectrum of perspectives and what i usually tell people that are going into these experiences <clears throat> especially people who are kind of like um curious as to whether or not it's legit let's just remove for a second the thought that it's that it's real that it that that you actually had a shamanic call or that past life regression you're actually remembering past lives or that we literally see spirit guides. Okay. Let's just pretend for a minute that none of it's real, regardless of whether or not it's real or not, it's still a real experience. You know what I mean? You're still having an experience that can be really life changing, you know, and just like what you're saying, if if you're going through these experiences and you're, regardless of whether or not you think it's real, which I personally do. Um, but regardless of whether or not it is real, you, you're still going to come out with something, right? And like you were saying, these people are having whole demeanor changes, um, per- changes in their personalities. Um, they're feeling more empathetic and things like that. So I really think that that kind of speaks for itself as far as the legitimacy of it, because it's really hard to change yourself in those kinds of ways. Yeah. And, and so that's why I kind of think of it. It's like in two different categories of my mind. Like if you're still asking questions like, you know, well, can I prove that this person lived at this address? Can I prove that this person had this black dog that looked just like this? Can I prove that this person was really married at this year? If you're still worried about those details, you haven't had the experience that past life stuff is really supposed to bring you. Um, and, and now I say that and yet at the same time, that's kind of untrue because you also need those experiences. You need to connect those little logical dots. So sometimes there is a space where you need to do that, but at the same time, eventually, once you get past that, the ultimate goal with this work is to just not worry about that anymore and not let that get in the way of emotional healing. And, you know, there are there are always going to be details that don't match up. You know, there are, how do you, how does any past life regressionist professional reconcile the fact that there are tons of people on record with very detailed, convincing stories of having the past lives of people from the Romanov family? You know, um, when you talk to regressionists who have been doing this a while We've all had a client who remembers a past life from that. How do you reconcile that? You know, that's where you kind of get into, um, you have to accept that there are some things going on that don't make it as simple as each person lived a single life and the details matched up perfectly with this world um, because there's a larger multiverse out there. 
Yeah, I get what you're saying. I personally think it's more like a spectrum where where people are going to find what they need. So where where you're more into quantum healing, I I have people that are coming to me looking for these verifications, um, trying to find these kinds of details. But you know, I really do try to focus on on like removing the ego and having yourself or your past life self or whatever you would like to call it give yourself advice and a lot of the time it tears down like just for example like uh, if my past life self was like okay you're really selfish and you don't care about anybody else but yourself in order to move forward in your life you need to stop being such a selfish asshole right that's that would be really difficult for me or, or for anybody probably to like admit that so that's kind of the things that I think you're talking about is um, focusing on those kinds of things. But I don't know. I'm just some dude. Who knows? Um, what I would like to talk about is if if you're willing to, or I don't know if you have any like contracts or NDAs with anybody, but if if you are able to talk about some of your some of your cooler experiences that you've had in regressing people and some of those stories, or even if you've done uh, regressions yourself and you'd like to tell some of your stories about that, I I would love to hear some of those. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'll, you'll just have to narrow it down. I have a lot of clients who are cool with me telling their stories. So um, if you want me to, you'll just have to just pick a category, you know, if there's anything. Okay. So let's do, Let's do two sides of the spectrum. Let's do first your your one, the one that you were just like, whoa, like what is going on? Like your most far out one, and then and then your most your closest one that you could almost verify or actually verified. Gosh, the the far out one. I've I would have to put those in just a single category. There's this past life of a reptilian planet and everyone who's like read my AMAs this is kind of the story that everyone's interested in. Um, there's a reptilian planet that a lot of people that come to me remember, and it has a lot of specific, really weird cultural things about it that are just really weird and specific. And that, I mean, you want to talk about confirmation, like to me, I mean, it's that one is probably the biggest source of confirmation simply because so many people remember the same thing and it's not like a popular it's none of the stuff is like something you've heard before like it's all very it's it's a version of something you've heard before but it's just it's very out there and very unique and for all these people to resonate with the same story I think is just very significant and um that that blows me away that people will come and they'll get it from not just me but like other practitioners and and it's just a very weird story um it was a very weird and, and real sorry to interrupt you just just to just to be clear these people and, and for the audience sake these people have they're they're not connected in any way right um they're they're not like family or friends it's cross-cultural it's things like that because i've actually heard of this this reptilian planet thing that you're talking about I've heard of this anecdotally, um, but these people aren't connected and they're, they don't know each other. It's cross race, car, cross uh, culture, cross denomination. And these people are still remembering these same type types of things and, and this same world. 
Um, I would say, well, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily, it's cross race, but it does seem there's weirdly a lot of, um, Asian people who it specifically, and I just say that I know it's striking for me because I have no Asian DNA at all. And I seem to have a ton of people of different Asian backgrounds. Like it's like one of each one from Vietnam, one with a background in Korea, one with a background in um, Laos, there's, uh, they're in like different parts of Malaysia. It's so strange how that seems to be the a factor that goes through a bunch of them. And then the other um, race that I get a lot, people with the same genetic history are British and Scandinavian. And I have, there's like two groups of people and that, I don't think that's for this reptile in general, but for my little group, I would say there's like a theme that's like kind of weird with the races of people. Okay. Yeah. Cause like I've, like I said, I've heard of it, but I've heard it from like uh, a bunch of different people who are like, I was a reptilian living on such and such planet, but. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of reptilian planets. I mean, there's tons of reptilian planets. You know, this one is really specific. They all agree that it has the same name. And, um, not, I mean, these people met each other at different stages in their awakening. So as far as, you know, they didn't know each other before, for sure. They all lived in different parts of the country. And, um, but then once they would sort of present some memories, they would often get connected with other people. And so, I mean, there, but I've always done that with my clients, letting them talk to each other and helping them kind of awaken together. I've always found that that's such an important process. Now, someone who's trying to like prove that there's no confirmation bias going on, that wouldn't be an important part of their practice. But I mean, that's not my goal. So for me, it's a very important part of the practice to let people who have memories of the same lives intermingle and share details and get more. And I mean, that's why my clients tend to stay with me for long periods of time, because we work on these lives for a long time, just developing more details and getting a really full picture and seeing how they're parallel to what's going on now. So are you, can you tell me the the name that they, that they remember of the planet? Yeah. They all call it Excalion. And they, it has a specific structure that it's a planet called Excalion, but it had several moons and satellites that um, orbited the planet. And there was like a population of people that lived on the planet itself. And then there was a population that was kind of very separate from that other population that lived on the moons and the satellites that orbited around the planet. Okay. And is that one, so, so is that one like your, your more provable one or the one that's more out there? I wouldn't say it's provable. (laughs) I wouldn't call. Okay. Anecdotally provable. (laughs) But in, if you want to talk about personal proof, I'm personally I believe it's provable simply because so many people have remembered such specific details. Like some people remember the specific detail of living on a moon and there are actually different moons that had different cultures that we found with people in this soul family that can kind of differentiate. I was on this moon and they were doing this thing and um, they had different power structures going on that were very specific 
And so it's a very complex um, narrative from this planet. Yeah. And it is significant. I don't, I don't want to take away from that at all. I, I think it is significant that when people remember the same things um, that weren't previously connected, but that's really fascinating. I love hearing about extraterrestrial lifetime memories and <clears throat> I, I just think it's so cool. Cause I, I, I love aliens. I love the thought of aliens and I've heard a lot of people talk about living lives on different worlds. See, I was always very afraid of aliens. I saw the movie Signs, which is not even that scary a movie, but I saw it when I was like in the third grade. And I was absolutely terrified of aliens for a very long time. And now I, after having my awakening and awakening to alien guides, you know, having guides that didn't look human, that looked, some were reptilian, some were Pleiadian. Um, I, I had to, I realized that you have one of the reasons why I was so afraid was because I was denying a huge part of myself. And that's kind of part of your awakening journey is aligning with your highest self and accepting that not only are aliens real, but that you are one and they're not other, they're not here to hurt you or dominate you. Um, in well, in general, generally speaking, but they, they are just you. They're just another version of you. And once you realize that that fear goes away, um, <laughs> that being said, I still, I, I'm not like one of those UFO seekers. Like I always, I, when people do those meditations out in the desert to like see, call the aliens in, that's not really in my bag. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm into it. Like I can buy into, especially with the Pentagon releasing their statement about how the UFOs are a real phenomenon. Like I totally buy into aliens and stuff, but yeah, I, I'm not going to go out in the desert and like pray to aliens. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely am not on board with the message that like all aliens are here to like bring love and light to the planet. I'm not, you'll notice I'm not a very love and light kind of person. Um, Cause I, I'm, I don't like that message so much that it brings us away from the importance of just like staying really grounded with our families. And I think that there's kind of this message that's been brought out that you need like a huge audience to just raise the vibration as quickly as you can. And I hope that the age of Aquarius, which I talk about a lot, is something to do with people awakening just smaller groups and just being satisfied with the bonds that they form with their clients and their soul family and, you know, just forming a little simple bubble that can support them. Kind of like, you know, in the tribal days when you just had like a, a midwife who worked for the village and, you know, a, a wise woman, that sort of thing. I hope we go back to that system in a modern world somehow. Yeah. It, it, it takes a village to raise a child, that old proverb. Right. I, I was actually before you said that I was actually going to bring that exact thing up that humans by nature are very tribal. Um, that's like where we came from. So I was actually going to bring that up. So it's interesting that you brought that up, too. Um, <clears throat> I mean, going through what I went through, I was really inspired by uh, I wish I um, I need to look up his name. There's a guy who did a lot of research 
with tribes and he also knows a lot about psychopharmacology and um, treating psychosis with drugs essentially and psychotherapy and he compared you know how do tribes take care of their mentally ill and what he found was that they essentially have reframed it as this shamanic um, practice and that uh, and his work is just so interesting because I found that a lot of the methods that he suggested using in the modern day, if you feel like you're going through a shamanic call, I found them very useful to me. Um, and it's just basically the idea that we still experience these ancient moments of disconnection with the physical world, but we have no idea how to deal with them. Um, <laughs> especially based on my religious context. So what I know that some people aren't comfortable talking about it. And, and if you don't want to, we can go in a whole different direction. But um, I like to talk about my method to put people under hypnosis and stuff like that. Are you are you comfortable with sharing that at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know it, how to how you want me to describe it exactly, because it's pretty much I, I don't even know fully if I know what I do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I some people aren't comfortable because they look at it like, and man, they they think that they're that the the people that are asking them these questions are trying to steal their method. You know, there there's a, for some reason in this little in this little bubble that we kind of operate in, there's a lot of competition, and I don't I don't get why there shouldn't that's be. Very sad. They charge too much to be that competitive. So I think that's silly. <laughs> exactly. But like, I'll give you an example. So my method, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called the hall of mirrors. Have you ever heard of that? I heard you describe it in one of your episodes. Um, right. And and I'm very open with about how I put people under, because I feel like it makes people a lot more feel a lot more comfortable if they know, especially because I work with a lot of first time people. That, that this is their very first time going under hypnosis. And I use the Hall of Mirrors for the first time, but the second time I found that it's a lot easier for them to slip into the hypnosis, like because they know what they're doing and their experience. So I don't really have to use it multiple times. But kind of like that. So, you know, if you don't mind describing kind of like your step-by-step -step process of hypnosis, just to kind of give people different ideas of how di different ways it's done because people have already heard the way that I do it, but I haven't really had someone on the show that was willing to talk about how they go through and put someone under hypnosis. Cause obviously there's a lot of different ways that we can do it. Uh, well, um, <clears throat> so with hypnosis, what you're doing is the words that you're saying are really not that important. Part of it is the visualization. And I don't take my clients very deep at all. I like for them to stay conscious. Um, I don't know. Do your clients always remember everything? They remember like 99%. Something that's kind of weird about the way that I do it is a lot of the times people, people will come to me with like their friends or like their spouse and I'll do a session for both of them. And then, so there's almost always other people in the room and um they'll take notes so like their spouse will take notes for them um but they'll go back through their notes and be like okay good i i that's not a false memory i, I didn't make that up i actually said that so yeah mm. um i'd say like 98 to 99 percent they remember there's like one if they say like some offhanded thing that wasn't really super important to them 
or I asked a question that they're just like, yeah, why does that matter? I don't really want to talk about that. Then they'll kind of forget about that. But for the most part, they, they remember everything. So I don't take them like into the unconscious mind. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just do a really mild visualization. I, I say that so far I have a hundred percent success rate, but I am very young. So that's kind of why I do. And I have recently run into one client who, um, had a blockage in her third eye that was just needed to be addressed before we could move forward. But that's why I do the month to month. So for me, it's like when we do the regressions, I kind of let them know, you know, we might run into a blockage. We're here to just observe whatever we can observe and see what needs to be dealt with at this time. And um, then we always just address it going forward. But my method for hypnosis, um, I just start with in the root chakra and I start by grounding um, using the roots themselves and forming the base of an ancient oak tree. And that's sort of a trigger word for um, me. And then I work the energy column up from the solar plexus using uh, the traditional chakra system and just bring it through the heart, through the throat and up into the third eye and then the crown. And um, I use the, and visualization of a canopy of an oak tree made of starlight. And that kind of roots them in both the earth and allows them to rise up into the cosmos, into the higher realms. And then we go into, there's several, you know, once you get them there, there's pretty much anything that you can do with the session, whatever their intention is, whatever they want to do. I can make anything materialize with visualization. And once, once that's done, that's kind of the actual method. Um, but one of my fondest methods of just general work is called the palace method, which is where I take them to a place that they co-create with their higher self. So this gives them a space, usually a mansion or an estate or sometimes a castle, depending on their personality. And some of it is conscious. So it's very familiar to them. Um, and then some of it is kind of representative of their potential in this current phase in their life. And by just working in that space, by observing, we can get messages from their higher self that way. We can also get palace memory or uh, past life memories really easily. Um, if that's what's being offered, that'll be sort of made clear. And <clears throat> I, I've worked with the palace for so long, several years now, that um, I just kind of, there's a million different things that I can do with that meditation, healing, working with their chakras. Um, getting really specific pieces of information if we need to. And then uh, I bring them down once we're ready and I just reel everything back in and bring it all the way back down to earth and cool off their solar plexus. And that's the meditation. Okay. So you said something really interesting to me personally. So I was speaking, the very first guest I had that ever talked about chakras, she she was a healer, and she told me off the air that in order to get to your past life memories or what she calls the superconscious or what's commonly referred to, I guess, is the superconscious anyway. Different people call it different things. But you have to first travel up into your third eye chakra, and then you have to travel back down. Okay. 
So before I even knew anything about that at all, in a lot of my sessions, everybody, actually almost every time, the first time that they do it anyway, they will travel up somehow and then they'll always travel back down. And they were doing that. And I was, it was a pattern that I had seen enough that I recognized as a pattern. But then she brought it to my attention that that in order to access those in your chakras, that's what you're traveling, that there's a correlation with your chakras. Would you would you kind of agree with that then? I mean, certainly my experience, that's how I was taught to do it. And I know that the meditation itself is really based on the chakra part. Once you get them up there, there's any number of things you can do. And I know that you can't leave them up there. There's something that happens where like if I were to get disconnected from a client before bringing them back down, it I don't know how to describe it, but it really messes with people even though they're very awake and aware, you know, they're not sleepy, like a traditional hypnotism. Um, but they feel very uncomfortable. They until they can like get the meditation to come back down. That's really interesting. Because I always tell people that they could wake up at any time, if they felt uncomfortable. Well, they can certainly wake up, they just, but they need that unrooting from the higher realms to come back down or they because sometimes we'll like get to talking. And we'll be discussing, we'll find a correlation between something, we'll see a past life memory, and they'll come out of it, we'll talk about it, and we'll get really excited. And we'll start to chat. And then that'll move into kind of, you know, just that'll turn into just a longer chat. And we'll kind of laugh and be like, okay, we have to come back down now. Because uh, so even though they're kind of like all the way out of the meditation, I have to do the bringing them back down step. It, It just doesn't there's something very uncomfortable about being left in there. So it does something, I believe, to their actual chakra system. Um, Because even though they can function just fine, they wouldn't want to be left like that. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the red flags that I, that I actually pointed out in my let's talk about past life regressions is that if, if you have a practitioner, that's not going to bring you back out of the hypnosis and let you come back out and be, comfortable with yourself in your current body, then I think that that's kind of not a, an appropriate way to do it. So I'm, I'm glad that you said, I'm glad that you said that. <laughs> yeah, you definitely want to make that part of the step. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by training courses of hypnotism because it fascinates me to think just the way that the ability kind of came out of me in like a natural way. It fascinates me to think that this is something that can be learned. Um. <clears throat> And I've, I've done some, I've been able to pass on my ability to a couple of people and teach them how to do it to some extent and do their own kind of method with it. But hypnotism is just such a strange thing. Um, And it fascinates me that it can be both self-taught and passed on. Yeah. And from my point of view, it fast that I'm fascinated with that as well. I'm also fascinated with the fact that it can be done whether or not you can visualize in your head or not. Yeah, that's, and I get asked that question all the time. There's tons of people that come to me and say, you know, I have aphantasia and will this be a problem with me? Um, and I, I can't, it's, 
it's funny because I could, I want to claim that I've actually had a client that had aphantasia and did fine. But if see, the thing is that I feel like if that happened, they would have just it, like, I, I realize now that once they have the actual experience, it doesn't really matter that they're not getting visualizations. Um, which I think is very interesting because a lot of people are really worried about that getting into this. Yeah. So for anybody who else who has aphantasia out there, it's almost like you get a download in your head. If you go back and listen to the John session, that's what the episode's called. John had aphantasia as well. And I regressed him and he had a full experience and he was able to pull out verifiable details of a tribe in Africa. So, um, yeah, that's it's it's crazy. It's it's so weird. Like everybody always talks about having visualizations, but I don't have it and you can still have an experience. So mm-hmm. that's really awesome. Madeline, is there a way that people can contact you uh, if they're interested in your services or interested in working with you? Um yeah, I I do have a website, but I'm not kind of rebuilding it. It's bad timing at the moment, so it's not really up right. So if anybody but I honestly do most of my business through Reddit anyway. So if anybody wants to contact me, I'm the moderator of the Past Lives subreddit and my username is struck by a star. And um you can just reach out to me by private message DM and ask for a consultation. If you're interested, I have a whole network of practitioners that some of them are clients of mine. Some of them used to be clients and they've moved on to start their own businesses. Um, And uh, if you're in need of healing, past life regression, um, tarot reading, there's and even working with a talented magical practitioner. There's probably someone I can connect you with. Perfect. Well, I'll include that in the description of the episode and madeline thank you so so much for coming on i really appreciate you sharing your time with me that's it for today's episode i'd like to thank madeline for coming onto the show and i'd also like to thank you for tuning in if you're interested in working with madeline reach out to her on reddit at username struck by a star remember if you've had a spiritual awakening or if you have a spiritual calling or even if you just want to come onto the show to talk about your spiritual views about what happens after we die anything like that, shoot me an email. My email is the regression session at gmail.com. And I would love to have you on the show. Giving up on, giving up on love, on love. We're giving up on, giving up on love, on love. We're giving up on, giving up on love, on love. Giving up on giving